1 Corinthians chapter 11. You found it there. We'll begin in verse 17. I'll bring out the New King James Version. God's Word says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Are you de- do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Well, this morning we want to continue our study in 1 Corinthians. And in so doing, we want to remind ourselves once again that while we are certainly concerned about the issues that Paul is dealing with, we want to be sure of the principles by which he is dealing with these issues in the church. And two or three issues are going to come out in the course of studying this portion of Scripture regarding our Lord's Supper, and it's going to stretch into next week as we're going to tackle more of the doctrinal issues of the table itself that he's going to share, but we're really going to be discussing and dealing with some of the issues revolving the what we would consider the love feast or meal uh, of the what is true unity and what does it look like in the church and when is it necessary to violate. And we're going to deal with some of these issues, but we want to really understand the principles behind them And Paul is taking great pains to lay them out there. And we want to continue to nurture them. We have just gotten done with two weeks of dealing with some issues that we are struggling with, frankly, in the church in America, the Western church, that of head coverings or the lack thereof, whether you are male or female, and that of our personal appearance. What are we communicating to one another? What are we communicating to angels? What are we communicating to God? What are we communicating to the world in these areas? 
And how much of the philosophy of our world have we swallowed in rebelling against God's Word and choosing to follow men's ideas rather than God's? And that's been a rough two weeks to examine honestly these issues and to find that the church in America is not conforming itself largely to them. In fact, hardly at all. That we take opportunity when it fits us to select portions of God's Word and call them cultural instead of truth. And then we want to take other portions of God's Word and say, oh no, this must be lived out. When others say, well, you've already made one passage cultural, why can't we make others? And so when we find God's Word going back to the garden, going back to creation, we discover that this is a principle that transcends the cultures of man and begins to lead us into the culture of the church, which we are all called to participate in if we are truly of Christ. And that culture has a very pointed principle that has been drawn out and we saw it back in that one sentence that we have been rehearsing over and over again. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And we're going to see that played out yet again today as we look at how we ought to relate one to another when the world says, seek out your own, and God says, seek out the needs of one another. Make sure you guard yourself, is what the world says, and take care of number one. And we see the selfish pursuits of the world around us, and we might be disgusted by them, or we might actually applaud them on many occasions in our society. That, well, they looked out for themselves, them and theirs, and they are um, successes. But rather than looking at those through men's eyes, we need to look at those examples through God's eyes. That many of those that man calls successes, God calls failures. And many churches that men might look at based upon men's criteria call successes God might look at as utter failures. We have seen this in the Old Testament, our study of the Old Testament prophets, that when Israel, the northern kingdom, was in its wealth, and from all external appearance, it would seem that they had the pleasure of God and God's quote-unquote blessing, and they could easily see God as blessed Israel, the northern tribes. But the prophets come along, those solitary voices come along and say, oh no, woe is you, God is very displeased, and you're about to come under judgment. Indeed, you're about to be destroyed. And so we must examine ourselves not based upon the world's criteria, but God's criteria. And Paul here is going to do so with the Corinthian church. From an external perspective, we would call this a very successful, multicultural church. They're so successful and so large that there are even camps within this church. There's the Paul camp, there's the Peter camp, there's the Apollos camp, there's the Jesus camp. We would call them cell groups in modern 
church speak. We would call them cell groups. And Paul has taken them to task already for that and he's going to further that yet here in this passage. The core behind this principle, knowledge puffs up but love edifies, is that genuine Christianity and an understanding of its truth does not lead us to self-seeking, but to service. We serve others. That we give as the primary consideration in our actions and behaviors and speech and attitudes, not our interests, but those of the body of Christ. That they come to the forefront of our thinking as we go about our business or our pleasure. And in this case, Today, in a passage before us, it's about our pleasure and our worship. And by the way, your pleasure should be acts of worship. Let's go, Lord, in prayer as we get into our passage. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for the opportunity to worship you by the study of your word. And we, again, must come acknowledging our inadequacy for this in our own wisdom and our own strength. And we beg for your help. We thank you that you freely offer to all those who ask. So Lord, we pray your spirit might gain control this time, that your word might go forth with power, that it might go forth um, into our hearts, that we might be ready to receive it, that we might humble ourselves before it and allow it to dramatically change our lives by changing our thinking and changing our hearts. Lord, you've not... You've taken that heart of stone, that dead thing out of us and put a heart of flesh that is sensitive to your lead. And Lord, uh, we pray that we, you might continue to touch that. That we might not harden ourselves by looking at the culture around us to your truth of your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul is again getting ready to take them to task. He starts right off the beginning in this passage by saying, I'm not going to praise you. I'm going to take issue with something going on in your church. And here's what I've heard. This is a secondhand report. This is not something Paul saw going on firsthand when he was there. But he has heard that this is what it has built up to in the Corinthian church. He says, listen, I've heard that there are divisions among you. And we already referenced that in the early chapters of Corinthians. But he's going to take these divisions and he's going to discover their social impact of just how far these divisions have gone. And so he talks about these divisions that are among them. Uh, and that when they gather together, those divisions are evident. And one of the reasons the church gathers together is to partake in the Lord's table. And so as they gather together, one of the things that they did and that uh, on many occasions, some occasions we do, is they would gather together to participate in a meal. And in this respect, the church has been very attentive to this over the generations since the writing of Scripture. Uh, and we have largely tried to fulfill this in our day, uh, that they, when they gather together to partake in the Lord's table, they would often bring a love feast as well that they would eat before the Lord. And this is a custom that was drawn out of a lot of uh, the Hebrew uh, ways 
that they would come and they would eat their sacrifice before the Lord. And so you brought this meal, um, the fatty portions you offer as a burnt offering, and some portions you were to consume there before God at the temple. And so when we look at the institution of the Lord's table during the Passover, we obviously recognize that that was around a meal, the Passover meal. And it has enormous symbolage around it. And the early church picked this up, and there are still churches today, um, brethren particularly, but others as well, who have picked up on this, that we need to institute the Lord's table not as an entity by itself, but in conjunction with what is described as a love feast or a full meal. That at the culmination of this meal, we'll participate in these elements of the uh, cup and the bread. And so the early church did at that time. And they would participate in this meal. Well, in the preparation for this wonderful act of worship, which was to be at the culmination of this quote-unquote love feast, um, they would come in and they would have their own food. And they would sit down and whenever they arrived, they would sit and eat their food and preparation so they would be done and waiting for this act of worship they were to do together around the Lord's table. Interesting. Okay. And so I brought food for me and mine. Meaning my family. And maybe we brought in this great bountiful meal. And someone else came in and they had little. Or they were running late that morning. And didn't get their act together and, oh, they missed the fact, oh, we're having the Lord's table. We're supposed to have love feast today. They might not have brought anything. Or perhaps they were just impoverished and didn't have much to bring. And they came and they might have had soda crackers and water or, I don't know if they had soda crackers back then, but you get the picture. And Paul says, this isn't right. How can you call this a love feast when you're not showing any love? Except for for yourself. And so he's going to reference this. And he says, listen, you come together and it's not for the better, but for the worse. Here you are getting ready to partake in the Lord's table, which is an expression of self-sacrifice. To the nth degree is the ultimate expression of self-sacrifice. You're going to remember Christ's sacrifice of himself for you. And as you work your way towards that meal together, towards that spiritual presentation, you are here exemplifying zero self-sacrifice. You're all about, I'm going to have my own. I've got to have my portions. And we find the Corinthians there doing the very worst thing. And that is in preparation for this wonderful, symbolic meal, the Lord's table, they destroyed everything it pictured. He says, this isn't good. And by doing so, you're destroying that event. And making it, instead of a blessing to the church, you make participating in the Lord's table a curse on the church that it's actually bringing judgment on you individually and as a body of saints. You are under God's judgment. And that's what he's going to talk about later on, that many of you are, are not well and many of you are, are even have 
passed away. You're sleeping. That's not because it was a boring sermon. That's a reference to dying. Why? Because you have taken partaken of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner because you're over here self-indulging and only wondering and interested in taking care of yourself. And then you come to this table and you're full and somebody else is hungry and you're taking this table together. He says, is, you have violated everything it stands for. And so when you partake of it, no wonder you're getting judged by God. It would have been better if you hadn't done it at all. And this is a principle you're going to see over and over again in Scripture. Um, God would rather you do nothing than do the wrong thing. Here's a principle out of the Old Testament all the way through in the New Testament that if we don't have godly, qualified leaders, it's better we have no leaders at all. And so the mentality that I've heard historically that, well, and I hear it from lady preachers, um, well, you know, the men aren't leading like they should, and so it just falls upon us. Wrong. Better to have no leadership than the wrong leadership. Better to not have the communion table than to partake of it wrongly. Better to not have church services than to have wrong ones. Really, Pastor? Really? It matters that much to God that it be done according to His Word, according to His truth. Better not to pray than to pray wrong. Is there's a wrong way to pray? Oh, yes. The Bible talks about many that prayed and didn't get any answers. Why? Because they prayed selfishly. And in sin. So Paul says, listen, when you get together, you're not, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's not helping your Christian walk. It's hurting it. It'd be better if you didn't do it at all. But what would be best is if you did it right. And he's going to share the right way to partake in the Lord's table. We're going to study that next week. And we're going to really focus on that. We're actually going to partake in the Lord's table next week. So please be prepared to do so in your heart and life and your relationships one with another, particularly relationship with God. We're going to do that Sunday morning as part of the morning worship service next week as we deal with that. But Paul essentially is saying this isn't a benefit to your Christian walk if you're coming to it wrong as a church body. And that's exactly what was going on there. You might say, well, what was wrong about how they were doing it in addition to this? Well, maybe it was all the divisions. And Paul wants to address the divisions in the church. And we get a mentality in our day and age. In our day, um, you can. there's only one group you're allowed to intolerate, and that's the intolerant. Otherwise, you have to tolerate everybody. In our day and age, um, and my wife and I discussed this a little bit on our trip, we have reached an era in our circles, in Christianity, in churches, where we think the very worst thing that could happen in church is to cause an argument. The worst thing that could happen in church is to create division. That in and of itself is sin. 
And so when you start hearing really bad preaching, when the church isn't going the direction you want to go, you want it to go in, or it's not providing the services that you want, um, or the pastor is losing his mind, whatever it is, and that has happened a few times, um, that instead of causing problems, what do we do? We say, I'm leaving. Maybe we don't even say it, we just do it. And we run to another church because, you know, we're not going to create a fight there. And we get the idea that unity at all costs um, really uh, means that you're not going to question the leadership, that you're not going to really um, address those issues. Um, You're just going to go off and find some other congregation to uh, watch and observe and see if they're going to follow it. And God really doesn't call us to that. Um, That really isn't true godly unity. When the Bible talks about being unified, and that's what's going to come up in the next chapter, by the way, when we get into the gifts and the spiritual gifts, there's one uh, spirit that gives them and one purpose behind them. And we're going to talk about unity extensively. But Paul introduces this idea here um, by saying, listen, sometimes it's necessary for there to be division to distinguish truth from error that if there is something wrong at church, we should address it. And addressing these kinds of issues in the church do involve this conflict resolution process. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, I'm going to say this all the time. When you're walking away from church, generally speaking, what we are doing is really just a selfish act. Because if we really love the church, if we really were caring about those around, if we're really concerned about their edification, what would be our first response when error or something that just doesn't sit right comes into the church? Is it to run away from it? No, you're going to address it. And the process of addressing issues that come into the church, yes, they are difficult and there is this conflict and you have to do confrontation and things like that. All those things that we don't like. Why don't we like them? Because we love ourselves more than we love the body. More than we love others. Because we're only concerned about our interests and therefore it's easier on me to simply walk away than it is to engage myself in conflict, to engage myself in confronting someone, and maybe it's even the pastor, uh, to confront them, and then maybe even to have to build a valid reason for this and a biblical reason for this conflict, and then to bring it to true godly resolution. That's a lot of work. And I might end up with a lot of enemies. I'm just going to go. Well, that's pretty selfish. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. How does that edify the body of Christ? That every time something doesn't line up with where we are at, that we're going to just bolt. But rather that we bring it to the attention of what's of the church to be addressed. And if the church then doesn't choose not to address it, then there are some things that God calls us upon, calls upon us, 
to respond. But I don't even find us beginning this at all. This process of coming and saying, we have a problem. Maybe with the preaching, the teaching. But to stand up and say, we have a problem. And Paul here says, listen, you got a problem. Yeah, there are divisions among you, and I believe it. You come together, and, and over here sits one group, and over there sits another group, and over there sits another group, and uh, you're not talking to each other, and there's those divisions that are there, and apparently this group over here is having a feast while these people over here are fasting, and uh, all this is going on. And he says, listen, I understand that sometimes there needs to be division in verse 19. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When there is sin going on in the church, there is, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, division. And we can sit here and put our hands over our eyes and hands over our ears and say, I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it. And the only one we're fooling is ourselves. By doing so, we permit sin to run its course into debauchery and destroy the church. We allow error to go unchecked and we find churches destroyed in God's sight. And Paul says, listen, sometimes it's necessary for there to be division because there are two very different opinions going on. There are two different uh, courses that are being taken by the church and, and one needs to be approved and the other disapproved. And so, yes, for a season, for this, for this process of resolving issues in the church, there has to be division. That those who are engaged in this activity that is sinful, whether it be of uh, being gluttonous and even to the point of drunkenness in their love feasts, that they are identified as as self-seeking, self-interested. And is that going to cause divisions? And we're not talking about standing up and pointing a finger and name-calling. We're talking about doing it the biblical fashion that we're going to confront them on an individual basis with two or three witnesses with the church. And then we're going to go to discipline. And no pastor is above that. No deacon is above that process. No believer in the church is above that process. And that's how we resolve these things. The resolution isn't by, well, I don't like the way things are going. I'm out of here. I don't like the way they handled that. I'm leaving. That pastor, he's just not preaching right. Um, I'm going to go find a different one. What are you communicating to everybody you're leaving behind? I don't really care about you. I just care about me and mine. But you have a pastor that's taken the pulpit and is introducing error or is simply ineffective. It is incumbent upon the church to take action. And it is so rarely seen today that most of you don't even know what that means. What kind of action you take. You get up and leave. That's what you do. That's not what you do. You go through the process of confronting them. 
And as I've been traveling and communicating with people of churches and other places, and Facebook is an amazing way of doing that, and I start seeing them leaving churches and shopping for churches. Some of them are relatives. And, and I'm like, well, why are you leaving that church? Oh, you, the things that are going on there are just horrible. The preaching is so bad and this. And I was like, is that your church or not? But we have no interest because we're only self-interested in the body of Christ of saying, let's go in and let's take care of this. And if that means that we need to remove a pastor, we have the means to do that. Every church has the means to remove that pastor. You see, divisions are sometimes necessary because the egos of men prevent them from seeing the truth, including pastors and Sunday school teachers and deacons and pastors' wives and all of them. We have this requirement that when there are issues going on in the church, here's the principle, we don't run We don't put on our blinders and try to ignore them. We address it and confront what's going on. Does that create a division? For a season, it will. During the process, it certainly will. And we don't shrink away from that. We simply lay it forward there and say, okay, let's see. Which one does God approve of? Here are two different positions. Present your argument. Get your Bible. Open it up. Get on your knees before God and you decide. Think, is it right that men should have long hair? Is it right that women should worship with her head uncovered? Paul has just finished two very big issues in the church today that we aren't getting right. He's like, come on. You got a perspective? Here's what I got. I got creation. I got nature. I got the practice of the church. I have all of this evidence. Now lay it out there. You decide. Church, which one is God going to approve? Following the women's liberation movement or following God's design at creation? You decide. And you are deciding. By whether you will submit or rebel against God's word. So will there be divisions? So certainly in that process of trying to figure out, am I going to conform to God's word? There's going to be divisions, sometimes within very families. And say, well, which way is it going to go? But because we tend to be selfish in our worship, what's in it for me? And I got to tell you, most Americans today in church are there for themselves. What am I going to get out of it? And if I don't get out of it what I need to get out of it, I'm going to go shop for another church that's going to give me what I want, what I think I need, what I want to hear. And there you'll go find them. They're out there eventually. You'll find somebody that'll be watered down enough that they'll try to accommodate whatever it is you're looking for. But ultimately, it's simply an act of selfishness. And spiritually, it is a demonstration of of immaturity. And we see them walking around claiming spiritual high ground because they have this knowledge, but all it's done is puff them up. They are not lovingly edifying the church. 
And sometimes the greatest way to edify the church is to have division. That brings about a resolution of an issue. And Paul says, listen, it's okay that there's a distinguishment within your church that there are two positions now that you have that in your church. Let's bring it to... Let's bring that fact to a place of examination and say, let us discern what does God approve because they can't both be right when they're opposites of each other. And let's go to God's Word and find out what does He approve. And so he says, these divisions among you are necessary so that the ones approved by God be recognized among you. They can be distinguished. That we can make that discernment that God can show where He wants us to be. We had a conversation with someone on our... We, had, we took a little mini vacation, my wife and I, this weekend. Um, and our weekend was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, Sunday is not the weekend. Sunday is the week beginning. You're thinking about that now, aren't you? You see, the weekend is not Saturday and Sunday because Sunday is the week beginning, not the weekend. So we had a weekend trip, and we were talking to Gal and and lots of issues, and she's at this church and that church and all over the place, and and um, lots of things going on there. But fundamentally, it was all about what's for me. What's for me? And a Christian life is about what's for God and for God's people. And so I'm on this mini vacation that we were given and had opportunity to simply go out there and just have fun with my wife and I and just please ourselves, right? But we're crazy people. We're kind of insane. We're weird. Because you know what? We would not have had a happy time if that's all we did was drive down there and just um, enjoy ourselves and think only of ourselves. We go down there. We had two great visits with Pastor Bailey. And he is doing really well. And I'm very excited. He is sharp as a tack, man, that, that guy. And uh, he's putting me through pastors of Scripture. And he's, he's got way too much time um, to get ready for me between trips I take there. Um, and he's nailing me down there. And so we were having some great conversation and just a great opportunity to minister to him and have him minister to us. Uh, we go and we want to find these people that we want to minister to. You see, you're on your vacation. Don't you get enough of that up here with all of us? No? No. Because, you see, I hope by example and I hope by teaching, one thing we've tried to communicate is that that song, There's Joy in Serving Jesus, is real. And the best vacations I have are when I go to camp and minister all week. Is when I get to go out there and, and serve God. Not serving myself. We're going to go out there. Uh, Pastor says, I just need to go out there and relax. Well, you're serving yourself and you're going to come back uh, miserable because you took yourself with you. And you're only focused on yourself. 
You're thinking about that a little bit, aren't you? I took myself with me. Yeah. The one that's making you miserable is you. Because selfishness will bring that misery. And Paul calls upon us that, listen, if you want to really have the love of God at work in your life, you're going to use your time to invest in others and, and edifying others isn't just my occupation. It is not just my avocation. It is my life. Oh, that we would all have that. How can I minister to others in the midst of this that the world says, that's your time, pastor? And I heard that in my training. I heard that growing up in seminary. I heard that from senior pastors. Oh, you make sure you take two days a week off for your family. Shame on us. Shame on them. I don't take two weeks off of serving God. For me time. The world says you need me time. The Bible says you have me time 24-7. It's time for others. That's hard to fit in, isn't it? Really. You see, love edifies and love is sacrificing. God's Word calls us to this kind of love that says I'm willing to invest all that energy and heartache and struggle and... Because none of us enjoy conflict, do we? But if we're going to bring issues to resolution among a body of people like this, um, it's going to take work and it's going to take people standing up and and being committed and saying, no matter what happens, this is my church um, and I want it to be approved by God and it's not my way or I'm out of here. It's it's God's way and if I have to change my ways to make it God's way, I'm ready to do that. But the sad state of the church today is that we're so afraid of factions among you. We're so afraid of the work and of doing so of, that it takes to, to make true unity that we are bolting from churches and we should be engaging church and say, let's be biblical here. And it's obvious that there are some positions that we don't agree on. And we're not talking about unanimity here where we all have the same opinion. We're talking about true unity where we can say that these are things that don't, that may not ever be resolved, may not need to be resolved, but there are other issues that are very obvious must be resolved. And here it was obvious that what they were doing was wrong and needed to be addressed. And Paul leads them in that. He says, listen, this is one issue. Here it is. You guys are gathering together. These people over here have a lot to eat. These people there have nothing to eat. Think, people. And you think that that's the best way to get ready to partake of the Lord's table? And he asks them some pointed questions. Is worship about filling your belly? Are you willing to search out your own stuff to the point of despising the church of God? That's the question. Verse 22. What? Do you not have houses to eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? He says, I can't praise you. Because all you think about is you and yours. 
And we're not talking about you and your church. We're talking about you and yours. What you count as yours. And generally, that means your immediate family. Maybe even your extended family. Maybe it's just you. God's Word calls us that our interests are greater. Why do you despise the church of God? Why are you willing to shame some in the church to get your way? To fill your belly? We cannot be praised for that. I have been thrilled to participate in churches that are willing to accept that kind of responsibility, but I see that they are becoming fewer and farther between. They are saying, this is our church. And like any family, we're going to have problems or we're going to have issues come up. We're going to have arguments. We're going to have times of dealing with some things that just happened to us. But how they are dealt with tells a lot about whether we are a group of individuals who get together here because our needs are met or whether we are a family of God that is here loving one another and seeking to edify one another. Whether we are really here for me and therefore despising the church, really, or whether I'm here to edify. Who am I building up in my family? Who am I strengthening in my family? And yes, I count some people over there in Arizona as part of my spiritual family. And if I'm there... I'm going to seek out an opportunity to minister to them. I try to do that electronically as well. But here I have a face-to-face opportunity. During my me time. For those of you on the podcast, I just stuck out my tongue and gagged myself just about me time. It's horrible. Oh, that we would be enraptured, enveloped, with the love of God to say, if it doesn't edify the church of God, I want no part of it. Even if that means indulging myself. And maybe especially if it means indulging myself. Yes, you have the liberty to wear what you like to church. Yes, you have the liberty to wear your hair the way you like. Absolutely, you have that liberty and you can puff yourself up in that knowledge all you want, but if you really understood that liberty and its confines of love, you would have no problems conforming yourself to God's Word. You really do have liberty to eat what you want, when you want, where you want. You're free to do that. And if you need to come and bring um, McDonald's in to, to get you through church service and you need to do that, okay. Uh, we had a rule when I was young. Did you bring up to for everybody? <laughs> you remember that in school? Yeah, the older guys are remembering that. If you had a stick, of, did you bring it up for everyone? Then you can have some. We were taught that in school. Then you could have gum if you had enough for everybody. None of us ever had enough for anybody, so none of us got any of it. Although we would have that mentality spiritually. Have I come to church with enough for everybody? 
to serve everybody in my church today? Have I come here with enough? Or have I just come here for me and mine? The principle is still driven in this issue. Are we think we can worship God selfishly? How can you worship God with sin? You can't. You have liberty. These people, it was their food. They earned it. They prepared it. They had liberty to eat it. But what did it accomplish for the church? What they were doing was, they weren't just ruining communion for everyone else, they were ruining it for themselves especially. Because ultimately, the one who gets injured the most by selfish behavior is the one who's practicing it. And this is why Paul, jumping ahead, says, listen, when you get together to eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And I've got some more things I'll try to set in order. This wasn't the end of the issue. Paul still had some work. He was going to tweak this, which is great. And we can say, oh, I want to know what he did. It doesn't matter if you know the principle. He was simply going to move them towards applying this principle. Listen, worship, when we gather together as a body of saints for worship, it's not about you, except to me. I'll let that one sink in too a little bit. It's not about you except to me. Do you understand that statement? When you gather together, it's not about you except to me. You aren't here for you. I'm here for you. You are here for me. It's not about you except to me. And that principle means even things like I might have to cause a little stink here because I care whether or not my church is godly. Whether or not God's approving it. Does He approve of what we're doing? I'm not saying whether it's growing or whether it's this or that, but is God approving of what we're doing? And yeah, that might require some things that we're not comfortable with. But that's what sacrifice is about. It's about giving up personal comfort for the benefit of the church, God's people.